You're listening to the Backroom Beer League Podcast with your hosts, Jacob, Nigel, and Greg. Bringing you your fantasy sports content recorded from the back room. To stay up to date, follow us at BRBL Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And rate the podcast to show us your support. Now, here's Jacob, Nigel, and Greg to talk fantasy sports. We're recording episode 17 on June 16th, 9 p.m. Um, this week, we're going to change it up a little bit. Um, the three of us not doing our weekly picks, um, not doing our uh, weekly rundown, um, sort of our news-based segments, uh, doing a little bit of fantasy analysis, kind of like we did with Tom, uh, not last week, but the week before in episode 16. And uh, we're just going to see what we like, what we don't like, uh, what we want to move forward with the show with um, a little bit more fantasy content, maybe. So uh, in this episode of the show, we are going to be doing a segment based on how we think players are going to uh, play and how bright their future might be based on where they've been drafted to NHL, NFL, MLB, NBA. It doesn't matter where Um, two players from each of those destinations in, in the league. Uh, And we're also going to be doing a segment on um, the value-based ranking of individual teams as if we drafted them entirely uh, in a fantasy setting and how they are, uh, I guess, based in, in a, in a fantasy environment, how valuable they might be. So just a bit of analysis really. So to start off this week's episode, uh, since there's not going to be a weekly picks or a, uh, weekly rundown segment in the show, we're kind of basing, what we're talking about off of two fantasy-based segments. Um, the first thing we're going to be talking about is the best-built teams for fantasy. And uh, I think if we are honest with ourselves, we've always thought about, what if I drafted my favorite team in this sport or that sport, and how would they do in a fantasy setting? I mean, I know you and I nodged here for the Yankees and I didn't really include them on this list, but it it would be interesting to actually draft a, an entire team of Yankees on on a fantasy baseball roster. I actually pretty much do it myself in my fantasy baseball league. Um, I have like pretty much every pitcher that's ever touched Yankee stadium. Um, But uh, I've included Teams from the NFL, the NHL, the NBA, and the MLB. So we have all sports in here. Uh, Very random teams. Some are easier to kind of uh, grade on their um, their value in fantasy than others. Um, Some are really easy. Um, Some are real hard. So the first team on this list is the Los Angeles Chargers. And I think Nigel should actually kind of take the lead on this because you've been high on the Honestly, Chargers. Honestly, after this offseason, like previous high. podcast. 
high. And I think I think that'd be true. Defensively, you're sound. I think you're gonna be one of the top defenses in the league. Fit defense on fantasy is such a shit show. And the Chargers are built to get you sacks, which get you points, turnovers, which get you points, not allow a lot of scores, you know, not allow a lot. They're a solid built defense. Um, wide receiver core, you've got guys like Keenan Allen, Mike Williams who are going to come in, you know, get your points. Austin Eckler was the third best running back on fantasy last year. Now without Melvin Gordon to take snaps, should do better. Hunter Henry's coming back on a franchise tag prove it deal, so he's going to have to play another good year. The only question comes is will Tyrod Taylor or Justin Herbert be able to do the job? That's mm. the only worry you have with that football team. Their O-line has improved with guys like Balaga and they the trade for Trey Turner and like their only weak spot is quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was gonna point that out. Um I don't necessarily have a lot of faith in Tyrod. But I also think it's too early for Herbert to start right now. So that's where I find them a little fishy, but their defense is money. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree because Nige, I think you picked up uh, LA's defense last year, if I'm correct, in our fantasy football league. Is that I right? I did not know because they kind of. Well, I didn't. Last year, you would have wanted to stay away because they were a whole. Maybe defense was on IR with Derwin James. Yeah, maybe I'm thinking of Melvin you talking Ingram. about this year so much yeah, for I, maybe I, this. I'm, I I might take a shot on the draft board, Adam. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think their defense is definitely something to look at. I mean, we can look Keenan at the QB situation. We can look at the QB situation and kind of guesstimate how Tyrod Taylor is going to be. Because um, I'm, I'm looking at an article here, and it says the last time Taylor played close to a full season was with the Buffalo Bills in 2015 to 17, where he massed 275, 270, and 222 points PPR while posting a 20 to 6 touchdown to interception ratio in 2015. Can he do worse 17 than to Phil 6 Rivers? 17 to 6 touchdown to interception ratio in 2016 and uh and uh, 14 to 4 TD interception ratio in 2017. So he's 30 years old now. He's a 30-year-old QB. Um I don't know. I, like it's it's kind of a it's a mixed basket out there, really. You see, when I think of Tyrod Taylor, I think of like a generally like a mobile quarterback. And when you look at the offense, um, excuse me, they're built to play around Phil Rivers. So I do have some hesitations on that end, but I think it like in for future sake. Herbert set up for success. The only thing is Anthony Lynn has stated for a long time he's wanted a mobile quarterback. And you can say they're built for Phil Rivers, but, you know, you've got your short route. You've got your good route runners for a mobile quarterback. And to be all honest, fair to Tyrod Taylor, that guy's never been handed a fair deal. His last season with Buffalo was a shit show because they were in the start of a rebuild. He was just kind of a fucking sheep on a coach's last stand. Yeah, and... I um, they're also really, really like ever since they lost Antonio Gates, they've been quite thin at tight end. So Hunter Henry, I think Hunter Henry yeah. should do really well. Yeah, though I I I understand Hunter Henry's insanely talented and stuff, but man, you got to play a year without getting. Yeah, hurt. that's his big. Like goal. you just do. Like that's the franchise tag prove it deal, man. 
Yeah. He's got to prove he's worth that contract he wants. Yeah, and and everybody was talking about how Herbert might be a bit of a wild card going into the draft before the draft, and now that he's in L.A., um, we look at his stats. He threw for 32 touchdowns last season, and that's got some promise. I think we see a lot more playing time from Herbert than we think, um, just because what does L.A. really have to lose almost? I don't know. Yeah, really. They have playoff potential this year. The team as a whole. They like, do. If they don't make the playoffs, I think they would consider it a disappointing season. Results. Yeah, I, I do think they have playoff potential, and I also think that even though they have playoff potential, I think they aren't necessarily afraid to start Herbert a lot. If it, yeah. especially if it goes well in the first few starts for him. Well, like, listen, if, if you're a team like the Chargers or even the Dolphins who um, took chances, I, I wouldn't say they took chances on Tua, but to take those quarterbacks in the first round uh, with top 10 picks, I mean, you must be willing to have some off games. You must be willing to have all of those those growing pain moments, in, in, a, in a sense, because you wouldn't have drafted them if you weren't. Yeah, and uh, like it, it's kind of like the opposite thing um, with with Taylor. He, he's got some rushing capabilities, but with uh, with Herbert, he doesn't really have those rushing capabilities. So he's he's definitely a risk for fantasy, obviously. And you know, he's he's definitely uh, a player that you might take a risk on very late in the draft. But if that risk happens to pay off because he kind of comes out and blows the doors off the place in LA. Hey, I mean, you just picked up a young stud QB making it work in the Chargers organization that nobody thought he could make it work. Um, and uh, he could be could be a surprise for some people. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, moving on to the next draft uh, or the next um, uh, destination, we are talking about the Boston Bruins in the NHL. Holy shit. What 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 bad is there to say? Tuukka Rask is still playing as one of the top goalies in the league. That offense with Pasta, Bergeron, and the asshole Marchand is still going ape shit. The defense is solid. Like, one They're of the, the best, best all-around team in hockey. They're the best all-around team Not to team mention they're, like, if you're playing in a league that most leagues count penalty minutes, hits, etc. Boston's one of the chippiest teams in the National Hockey League, and they always have been. They're they're definitely one of those teams that you think about as kind of like um, a, a Philadelphia Flyers kind of organization, where they were known as the Broad Street Broad Street Bullies, and they had players like Bobby Clark and Ron Hextall chipping it up on the ice. The yeah, Bruins man. still do that. They have Marchand out there getting stupid penalties. I mean, if you have Marchand on your team. He's not only a top point producer, but he's a top penalty minute producer. He's such he goes a rat. out and hits like he's a rat, but he's so good for fantasy in so many ways. He's he Marshawn really came. I, I I'm I'm kind of hesitant to use this um, use this word like these words, but he did kind of come out of nowhere. In the sense that he was always a solid player and he was always that guy who was chippy, who would be called a rat and, a, and an instigator, things like that. 
but mm-hmm. I like he's he's a star now. And I don't know if anyone expected him to be like that when he first came in the league. Like on on, on this level, you take him off that Boston team and the effects are insane. He's all like they built their team around him and Bergeron. Is what they did. Yeah, I'd have to say I'd have to say that Marchand uh as much hate as he gets, he is like probably I don't want to say he's the most integral part of the team because I I truly believe that especially in the earlier days of Boston's success um back when they won their cup uh Bergeron was a key factor. He was hurt a lot. He was he was uh, hurt a lot and he was on the injured list a lot but he he held up the team points wise but Marchand has always been sort of this um cult of personality I think you could call it on the team. Mm. And then you got ch- guys like Chara who kind of center their play style around him. And, he, and I know Chara isn't much of a fantasy player, but he he still gets points. I mean, probably because of guys like Marchand on the ice at the same time as him. That and like, how the fuck is Tuka Rask still playing so goddamn well? This man's up for a has a shot to win a Vesna. I think he'll. I think that he probably will win the Vesna, ah. and mm. that's what it. That's what it's kind of looking like right I, now. Personally, I think it are. could go to Vasilevsky, or actually, I think it should go to Connor Hellebuck. But mm, I, I think mean, if they can, I, they'll probably, give it to the Bruin. I'd probably have to say either Rask or Hellebuck because if you think about it, Hellebuck pretty much held up he, a mediocre Winnipeg Jets team this year. If, yeah, yeah, if yeah. you really look at it, he was the best goalie in the NHL this year. Yeah, I don't think he'll win it, but I think he probably deserves it the most because at, at least in Rask's case, you have so many good players like we're talking about uh, fantasy-wise, but like they're they're working as a team more and and in the Jets scenario you have you know uh, what I would be considered uh, a team that missed their Stanley Cup window like they're probably one or two years out of their Stanley Cup window now especially with uh, a guy like Bufflin just kind of packing up and leaving the team just out of nowhere kind of it's it's definitely a, a a debate to be had, but uh, the next team on the list is the New York Knicks. What is did the you, team's fantasy value? Jake, did you actually put this? Did you put this on here just to piss me off? Tom rips on Jake. Now it's time right. for Greg and Nige to rip on Jake. The Knicks so, fucking see, here's suck. The thing. I read this. I'm like, why is this even a discussion? Like, um, who else are you gonna draft the, besides R.J. Barrett? The only. I mean, Julius Randle's stat patter and Mitchell Robin- Robinson can definitely get you some points. You ain't drafting Mook no but, more. But but when when you're talking team fantasy value, I mean, Jake, I got to be dead honest, and I'm not even saying this to to shit on you any more than I already am or am planning <laughs> to in the next two minutes. But like, <laughs> they suck. They're so bad. They like like. They're probably one of the last teams that I would suggest doing this in the NBA. 
Like the like their starting five, they have a bottom five point guard. Bottom uh, yeah, five, can... like like the team is just straight ass. Like I rather draft Spike Lee if he's allowed into the goddamn arena. <laughs> like I I completely agree with you, and I included this list. I included this team on the list because I knew you guys would shit on it, but I did want you to take into account that, yes, both the present and possibly the future of the New York Knicks is bleak. I understand that. But if you think about it, um, and I'm not trying to like shamelessly defend the Knicks here, but looking at purely a fantasy standpoint and not trying to shamelessly defend the Knicks, you have Mitchell Robinson, right? You have RJ Barrett. These are two pieces on the team that are developing. And we already talked about Mitchell Robinson uh, before in the fantasy pick segment. Uh, RJ Barrett's only going to get better. Should he receive proper, development from the Knicks organization. And that remains to be seen. But if we do, and this is going to go into uh, our other segment tonight, um, if we do get a player like LaMelo Ball in the draft, how does that affect our team fantasy value? Does, like, I just want to have an honest conversation and I know no, you're no. still going to shit on them. No, no, no. no. We'll, you... have an, we'll have an honest conversation because my honesty yeah. is still shit. But... The the whole idea is like I look at your team roster and I was in a fantasy basketball league this year. I've been in many in my life. I yeah. I've been in a couple this year actually. Um I'm I look at your roster, Jake, and I see two, maybe three players on the roster who even get drafted. I know. So to say that there's a chance that this is a prosperous team in fantasy for fantasy value, I don't think is is uh, is true in any means. Mitchell Robinson's a fantasy a fantasy stud. He's extremely underrated. Um, and R.J. Barrett is young, but he can provide you solid stuff off your um, off your fantasy bench. But like you, then like you look at guys like you look at the roster and you see. The only other one that's possible is Julius Randle to be drafted. But you look at your roster, Jake, and I'm like, Alfred Payton, ass. Mo Harkless, ass. Taj Gibson, ass. Yeah. Frank Nittalina, or whatever the fuck you call it, ass. Nittalina, yeah. Well, like, 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 the fact that, like, say that they're to get lucky and stick with the top five pick of the draft, right? And uh, if LaMelo Ball's there, they'll probably take him and they'll play him at the point because Alfred Payton's brutal. Um, this, that, it, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I'll tickle your funny bone for a second here. <laughs> it, it helps Mitchell Robinson more than it helps R.J. Barrett because LaMelo Ball's a very ball-heavy point guard much like Lonzo is, they're most effective when they have the ball in their hands, distributing and making shots and getting to the rim. Um, I think it, I honestly, I honestly think if LaMelo balls on the Knicks, it decreases the fan, it decreases the fantasy value of RJ Barrett. And I think it does it dramatically. You see, I was actually, 
I was actually going to say the exact same thing. Not like as in depth as you, but I think that if we get Lamella Ball, it decreases the the value of RJ they're Barrett both as a whole. So they're both heavy, heavy ball dominant players, and and I I would make this argument to the Knicks front office if one of these forwards slips down the draft, and when I mean forwards, I mean guys like uh, um, Obi Toppin. Or um, even like I mean Anthony Edwards isn't going to slip. He's he's I, I'm mainly going to say Obi Toppin because I think he's the one who has the potential to slip a little bit. I think he's a better fit for your team right now than Lamelo Ball. But it's going to come down to how much your front office believes in RJ Barrett. Because when looking at this fantasy, like looking at it from a fantasy standpoint, providing RJ Barrett with yet another big man, Toppin would most likely, actually they probably play Toppin at the three and keep Randall at the four. Um, that would allow the floor to be quite spacious for RJ Barrett. So when you're talking fantasy wise, you don't have a distributor right now, which yeah. if you're looking at the broad scheme of things, the team would benefit fantasy wise more from LaMelo, but actual court and playing wise and like the record, they would, in my opinion, benefit more from a guy like Obi Toppin because this guy's also older with more, leadership qualities and LaMelo ball being in New York screams potential failure to me. Like I, I I'm really excited for um, the draft, even though I know whatever happens, I'm still going to be disappointed to a certain effect because <laughs> I have to live with being a Knicks fan. But um, I, I want LaMelo, but I yeah. completely agree with your argument that if we do get another ball heavy guy, in New York, and like you also said at the very end of your statement, Lamelo screams potential failure in New York City. Like it's not a big market team that does well on a regular basis, but it is still a big market. You know what I mean? There's yes. there's sold out shows for a shitty team, and if you get Lamelo Ball in New York City, that does scream bust, right? And I think you are right in saying that Obi Toppin would be better for our team success-wise and LaMelo would be better for our team fantasy-wise. Everyone but RJ. Yes. And I also wanted to ask quickly before we move on to the next... I think we're actually going to move on to our other segment a a bit quicker than I thought tonight. Um, But I actually wanted to ask you... a. Very quickly, what do you think the coaching situation could do for New York's fantasy value if we get someone like Kenny Atkinson or if we choose someone different? Uh, Kenny Atkinson didn't really know how to get the most out of the Brooklyn Nets when it came to the offensive side of the ball. Mm -hmm. Um, And I worry about that with the Knicks as well. But you can make an argument for the opposite for the other side. Sorry, you can make a case for the opposite side of that argument 
in that R.J. Barrett and LaMelo Ball, if he's there, are both natural scorers. They're going to get buckets, and they don't need plays drawn up, right? As they develop, Kenny Atkinson could be good for them. Kenny Atkinson gets hired to the Knicks, you're going to see Mitchell Robinson become an all-star. That's my belief. I think that having a a coach with the temperament of Atkinson is – going to make Robinson take the next step that he desperately needs to get into the limelight right now in his career to, and I'm sure he feels the same way. Like he's going to make his bread. You know what I mean? Like I think Robinson and Fizz did not mix at all. Not even a little bit. No. And I think that like you, you hate to blame the underrated quality of a player purely based on who was coaching him for the majority of last season. But I really think that if Mitchell Robinson had a better coach, uh, even playing in, in the Knicks organization, he would have been a way more highly regarded fantasy player because um, he would have played better, I think. In my opinion, in the game of basketball in general, when you're a team like the Knicks who has had such – such such disappointment for the, like the last she like the last twenty years minus those couple solid ones with Mello and Jr. and crew, right? You're yeah. looking at like it's it's just disappointing basketball of a team that used to be great. Mm-hmm. When you look at situations like this, you need a defensive minded coach to not only like. To not only provide you with more success, he may not be your savior. Savior, you may need to move on. I'm going to use this example: the Toronto Raptors were hot donkey garbage up until 2013. They hired Dwayne Casey, who is an extremely well-known defensive-minded head coach in the NBA, and yeah. the team starts to produce wins. And they make the playoffs. And then they make the playoffs for six straight years. But then Masayu Jiri goes, you know what? This has helped us, but we can't win with him. We need to go with an all-around coach like Nick Nurse. One year, win a championship. So what I'm trying to say is you need a defensive coach in today's offensive-minded NBA to create a foundation for success. I don't think you find that if you go and you find an offensive-minded coach. Like, I'll use Steve Kerr. If the Warriors decided they wanted to fire Steve Kerr, his the likelihood of him finding success with any of the up-and-coming teams in the NBA is extremely low, in my opinion. Yeah, and I mean, if Steve Kerr started coaching a different team tomorrow, he wouldn't fit anybody's system because he built his own system in Golden State, yeah. very exclusive to the actual team itself if i'm the Knicks front office i'm not signing anyone except a defensive minded head coach because you need to build that mindset you need to build that we're going to grind out games and we're going to build up our team before we start winning on a regular basis Mm -hmm. and i think atkinson can bring that but it's also a large gamble it's really large gamble but i mean you literally don't have anything to lose you see this is what I'm saying. We had a very wholesome conversation about the New York Knicks of all teams as much as you doubted <laughs> it. And you actually provided very good insight on, on the fantasy side of things. And Nigel, I think, has been dead silent for the past five minutes. So I think uh, in the essence of time of this segment, and then we're going to move on to our um, prospects 
landing destination segment. I uh, apologize to, to the, I apologize to the fans for not so letting <laughs> hear Nigel's perfect voice. <laughs> I apologize <laughs> for not letting the fans hear Nigel's luscious voice. The New Jersey Devils of the NBA. <laughs> well, Nigel, I think Greg's passionate five-minute speech about how the Knicks can actually gain some credibility and get a little bit better negates what you just said. So yeah, but like if this is how they do, can have they? No, they still suck. <laughs> the Devils well, could go hard and beat the the let and be good, but have they? No, they still suck. The Browns right now guess still suck. Most, <laughs> guess who's the most valuable? Uh, basketball organization in the NBA. You can't win shit. Guess who's not the most valuable hockey organization? Congrats. They both still suck. Yeah, we make money, Nudge. <laughs> Learn how to sell tickets. Then we'll talk. <laughs> so what we're going to do, like I was saying, is we're going to include Arizona Cardinals as our last team fantasy value, and then we're going to move on to our draft destination this so i one. think you could actually take this away and uh start fucking pound the fuck out of that kyler coming off <laughs> offensive rookie of the year they did actually do some o-line improvement he'll still be running for his life but it's fine d hop christian kirk larry fitzgerald that's no, you don't have to explain that that's not no uh, Kenyon Drake on a prove it deal after going ape shit last year. You know, only position they're a little sketchy on is tight end. <laughs> mm. But I think honestly, with how high flying that offense is going to be with um, Cliff Kingsbury, it's not going to matter. Defense, on the other hand, eh? they kind of improved it. Isaiah Simmons is huge. Buda Baker's a rising safety. If Pat Pete would stop doing PEDs, it wouldn't be nice. Chandler Jones is one of the top edge rushers in the league that nobody fucking talks about. But um, defense is a bit sketchy. That, uh, they have holes at every other linebacker spot. Isaiah Simmons won't play. Opposite edge rusher, interior line, opposite safety of Buda Baker. And every other cornerback outside of Patrick Peterson. <laughs> as good as the Arizona Cardinals could be as a team this year, I think their defense and fantasy is still going to be like worth nothing like at all. When Drew Brees used to throw five grand, but his team used to go seven and nine because his defense just kind of like fucked off. Yeah, like they could have the potential to like brutally outscore some teams and still win the game, but I think they're, their defense is going to give up so a lot of, like of points. 2011 Packers, where it's like, okay, instead of giving you a defense, you just need to score 45 points a game. Can you do it? Game, yeah, no. <laughs> Honestly, like, games that the Cardinals are going to be winning, boys, are games like 31 to 27, 42 to 35. Like, yes. they're going to be some scorchers. And like, I think that will happen. Oh, for sure. Like, I think they will be a good team that can and will do that this year. I just, yeah, like you're saying, I think their defense well, is going to be like they, they worth in fantasy. Defensive tackle. And like, Isaiah Simmons will be huge. That is like, the fact that he fell mm. to them was nuts. I know they needed O-line, but like, that's another, like we were taught, like we were, we've talked about it, like the CD Lamb pick and all those other picks where it's like, it might not be a position of need, but when value falls to you like that, you can't. 
Like Isaiah Simmons can play safety, but he can also play coverage linebacker, but he can also run stuff, but he can also rush the passer. Like I don't know. People have undervalued how huge that pick was. So though their defense will kind of stink, someone like Isaiah Simmons will be able to do a lot. I think they draft tight end and linebacker next year for sure. For sure, and they're they're try to get a a lot of value for Pat Pete and draft corner. They could. There are some desperate teams that will push for a corner. (laughs) They'd be smart. There are some like there are some definite holes in Arizona, but their offense is going to be insane fantasy wise. If your offense is putting like twenty points at wide receiver, twenty points at running back, twenty points at quarterback, your defense could only have you like two or three points and you'd probably still win. Yeah, I think Kyler Murray is gonna like I think he's gonna be a top rushing, QB draft like, this year. Rushing QBs are so big in fantasy and Kyler's ability to rush money. I mean the the fact that he was pretty decent for most of the year last year and they've only upgraded their offense to become like a machine. And we keep saying this time and time and time again, like Kenyon Drake is going to be a, a good player on that, that team. I, like he was given such a shit hand in Miami, but when he literally came to Arizona, like whenever I see him, I bring up the game. Kyler goes down against Seattle. They're, they're down like two scores against Seattle. Kenyon Drake single-handedly wins them that game because Brett Hundley ain't going to do it. I watched Brent Hundley play a lot of games in Green Bay when Aaron Rodgers' collarbone went out his asshole. He barely beat the, the, the year the Browns went 0-16, it took overtime for Brett Hundley to beat them. He was not going to win you that football game. Kenyon Drake went off. No. He went off his first yeah. game against the Niners. He's a receiving threat, too, and nobody talks about it. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate uh, accurate talk for the Cardinals. And our other segment this week, sw- switching things up, um, is we're going to talk about the best landing spots uh, available for players that haven't been drafted yet. And then we're also going to talk about players that have been drafted uh, and how we think their team that they got drafted to is going to affect their fantasy value going forward. Um, starting with hockey, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Alexis Lafreniere, uh, who is pretty much, by and large, um, expected if to go first overall in everybody's you don't draft book. First overall, fucking sell your team. You relocate. Pretty much. I mean, um, as of right now, he's. He's expected to go to Detroit. Uh, he's a World Junior Championship MVP, but I really do fear that I really, I really do fear that um, it could turn into a Jack Eichel situation in Detroit if Eisenman does not pull off this magical rebuild that everybody thinks he's going to do, and that could very well hurt. Lafreniere's fantasy value if you draft him in like say a dynasty league and you're expecting like oh, okay well they're going to be a very very good team in in the future because I'm expecting this big Eisenman rebuild they're only going to be a cup contender in maybe you know three or four years if they play their cards right and like I just think there's a lot of potential for things to blow up there and Lafreniere to be kind of left hanging out to dry. Hockey's so interesting too because there's no guarantee he starts instantly. 
And if he does, 18-year-olds very like rarely come into the league and light it up. I'm pretty well, sure overall there's um there there's a rule where um you're not allowed to play in the yeah, AHL that's why, if um, That's why Kako and Hughes stayed. Yeah, so he's either going to be playing on like in the NHL or back in like, Ruski. You even look at Connor McDavid. Even Connor McDavid, his first year, he got injured, but he wasn't the best player in the NHL that we know now. It's a big jump. But he he was still a stud. He'll play from day one because, first of all, the Detroit Red Wings (laughs) sucked ass last year. True. And they're going to want to sell tickets, right? So they're going to want someone. point total ever? they, They were like the. They set a record i think maybe franchise wise or maybe it was close to being a franchise record on how early they were eliminated from playoff contention like they were eliminated before the yeah. trade deadline was, it was bad like that's that's ridiculous right um i honestly i think lafreniere has the potential to be like an generational talent and mm. um the red wings have joe valeno in their farm system as well who Lafreniere played extremely well with at the World Juniors. That's true. And I think going on, those two as line mates are going to be something to look at. Um, I know that uh, Valeno's playing in Grand Rapids. I know he's playing in the AHL. Um, yeah. But this is solely so he doesn't get himself hurt because why the hell would you put him there? Because – like he has no one to play with and he's young and why the mm-hmm. hell would you waste that? But um, with Lafreniere being there, he'll still be there. Um, Larkin is a young stud. They have like Iserman has the potential to pull this off. I just think I, that I really I'll do be, think so too. I'll be very upset if he wastes Lafreniere's career away. Like I but think, like, um, look at I Edmonton think, when McDavid went there, man. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like Edmonton, everybody thought, you know, holy shit, Edmonton has like so many first round picks. It's going to be a magical rebuild. We're going to go from a shitty team who had to play Alice Hemsky every single chance we could get just to get some sort of uh, offense generated to. Getting players like, you know, Magnus Pierre Svensson, Connor McDavid, like we're going to be a great team in a few years. And it took a long while and they made the playoffs this year, but I wouldn't exactly call their their rebuilds. I don't know what you want to say. It's it it definitely wasn't efficient. It wasn't because they went through like what five coaches, ugly. three GMs, or something, ugly. some crazy you shit know, like that. The amount of but I think picks they botched too. That is true. The way that McDavid turned around the franchise by himself, essentially, um, I think Lafreniere has the ability to do that as well. He's not going to be good as McDavid. Don't get me wrong, but he does have the ability and the potential to turn that entire franchise around with help. Yes, and it, Detroit like, has a lot of good history if, that I I can't, I can't imagine them becoming a basement team with how good historically they've been. It just doesn't seem to make sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, if Ottawa did get the first round pick theoretically, 
Uh, I think it would be a way better landing spot. But Ottawa's for just Ottawa. Like, if there's a team to fuck it up. No, no, but like, I get that, Nige. And we talked last, like, the the whole reason we we didn't release last week's podcast was because we just didn't think it was interesting enough. But on there, we talked about how their owner was such a prick and how they've had such shitty luck as a franchise with dealing with problems within but they actually have a decent team they're actually surprisingly good this year i mean they have kachuk Peugeot, uh declare shabbat brown like to the islanders i guess you're right i guess you're right yeah he's on uh, the islanders now but uh they still have a good core there and the fact that they have two first round picks no matter how you slice (laughs) Mm -hmm. it it's a better landing spot but than you, the Red Wings, and that's I also you can't even really debate that. The team that wasted Daniel Alfredson, Jason Spezza, Danny Heatley, you know, like a solid roster and just shit themselves. Yeah, you could you can make that argument, but I still wouldn't say that that team, uh, in its even in its prime, I don't think that the future team of the it's senators just so like the senators to fuck it up i don't think they could beat the it's future just so team of the senators like, them to fuck it up. like yeah. if the, if if both of these first round picks hit and they have everyone i listed except Peugeot, then you're looking at a very very young team in ottawa that is very competitive right out of the gate in my opinion because they were surprisingly good this year even though their record doesn't show for it they beat some good teams and nobody expected them to beat good teams. I mean, it takes me to our next player on the list, which is Quentin Byfield, which a lot of people think he's going to go second overall to the Senators. Um, it's a very slim chance that he drops to someone like L.A. at number four because a lot of people think uh, Detroit's going to get first pick, Ottawa's going to get two, three, L.A.'s going to get four. Maybe... Things do shake it up. Uh, Like in baseball, Austin Martin fell to the Blue Jays. Nobody really thought he would, but maybe he does fall to L.A. I don't think he's going to, but if he went to L.A., it would be, again, worse than the The only thing I could see is uh, if um, Ottawa gets horny for a defenseman and goes for a guy like Jamie Drysdale. Yes. Yeah, I, I could see that. Like, and... There have been analysts that have looked at this um, a few times uh, recently since the draft is supposed to be uh, coming up soon, Um, relatively soon. Uh, They do kind of have some outside predictions that Byfield could go somewhere other than Ottawa. LA is the next team in line um, as it kind of stands with the draft lottery odds. Um, the most likely, and if he went to LA, he'd have nobody to play with. I mean, if you get if you get traded to LA right now, their farm system is stupid. Yeah, they have one they of the top farm systems in the league right now. Like, there's a lot of guys sitting there ready that can make a good impact. It's going to be a few years, but their mm. farm system right now is their like farm system and AHL system is set up fucking gold. I think Byfield hopes he gets drafted to Ottawa. There's no way Ottawa comes out of this without Quentin Byfield or Alexis Lafreniere with two of the top three picks for lottery. Not a chance. Zero. 
They're going to get one of them for sure. I think they're definitely going to get Byfield. I honestly think they'd be better off um, to take two and three and go Quentin Byfield, Jamie Dry, uh, and Jamie Drysdale. I think that would be their best option and let yeah. Lafreniere go somewhere else. I think fantasy-wise, it would be the best uh, thing for both of them, Lafreniere and Byfield, to go to Ottawa, but obviously that's not going to probably happen. Could technically, but I don't think it's going to. Red Wings are pretty much the front runner, uh, hands down, for Lafreniere at number one. Uh, Definitely could hurt his fantasy value going forward, Um, but in a couple of years, if Eiserman does pull off this magical rebuild, and they've had good good draft picks in the past, um, like you were saying, uh, Greg, that can work with Lafreniere uh, from the start to make a difference. Do first overall picks end up being the best fantasy players? Not really, uh, not not always, but you never know. Um, moving on to the sport of baseball, though, um, the first overall pick in the MLB draft, I was watching the draft uh, myself with my father, and Alex Torkelson, who was hands down um, widely regarded as the best player in the draft, went to the Detroit Tigers, and as much as we like to call it a factory it of is. sadness because <laughs> it it is, um, it actually is looking up in Detroit for the uh, baseball club because as of right now, according to Bleacher Report, which I don't really give that much credit to, but it's not just Bleacher Report. I got this uh, standing from Bleacher Report, but it's it's said in other places too um, that they have the sixth best farm system in the league, and that is I could actually almost grade it higher, maybe five. Um, they have right-handed pitcher Casey Mize, third base Spencer Torkelson. Um, they have right-handed pitcher Matt Manning, outfielder Riley Green, and left-handed pitcher Tariq Skubal. They have a lot of stud power in the farm system. And in a few years, Alex Torkelson could be playing on a very good team. Especially for him is in baseball, outside of pitcher, you are far less reliant on other people. Like, yeah, pitching staff needs good fielders to prevent hits and all those. But third base... You are like the the support from other players to get your fantasy value has like far less. Like, because you got to mm-hmm. hit the ball, you know, you got to make the play, throw the like outside of, again, outside of pitching for baseball, it's a lot of like individuals. So I think he makes a good impact whether the team sucks yeah. or not. And the, and the thing with baseball too is that it's, it's, like with an outfielder or a third baseman, whatever it may be, if he's a fielder, it's it's purely unless you play in a really, really specific league with like um, very uh, modified stat counting um, with like putouts and stuff. It's purely based on offensive talent. So you might have the worst fielder in history, someone like a Clint Frazier type who can't Fuck. catch a ball if his life depended on it, there. but if he can hit if he can hit 50 home runs in in a season it's not really going to matter so the fielding obviously isn't important really for Alex Torkelson only in the sense that it will keep him in the league for an extended period of time and i don't think there's any worry whatsoever about it um but Detroit uh as i understand it 
isn't too bad of a hitting park. And obviously you could be in better parks to hit in as, as a, as a young uh, player trying to make it in the MLB. I mean, we cheer for a team that has a great hitting park. Everybody calls the Yankee stadium, the the home of the short porch. Um, that's because it's easy to hit balls out in, in deep right field. But I mean, Detroit isn't a bad hitting park, and uh, I think you can make a difference there. Uh, do you have anything to say, Greg? The Tigers, like, I hope this works for them. Like, it's getting to the point where I feel bad. Like, they're so, so bad, and there there seems like you're saying that they, like, Bleacher Report had them at, like, the six best, the pros, like, their, their, um, their farm systems and stuff like that, but... Like, you got to bring something to the city of Detroit, right? I mean, yeah. like, we were talking about Lafreniere earlier, but, like, Torkelson, like, don't mess this up, dude. Please, like, mm-hmm. this is coming from, like, someone who's worried about the well-being of Detroit. <laughs> and like, yeah. like, provide them with something. I mean, when you're – if you're in the Tigers front office, you're really just kind of looking for – a spark plug of some sorts. And I think like, again, I'm not, I wasn't really looking into the MLB draft much, but hearing scouts talk about Torkelson, uh, he seems like a guy who could probably do it. Yeah. And like, I'm looking at the rankings here and the, the park itself in Detroit is actually a much better ballpark to hit in than I actually even anticipated because everybody regards, uh, Coors Field in Colorado is the best hitting park in the league. Um, but apparently, according to these rankings, again, again, I don't know why I keep going to them, but going back to the barrel of Bleacher Report, but they say the Detroit Tigers are the third best uh, park to hit in as a uh, fielder in the big league. So could definitely help them. Moving on to your team, though, Greg, you got a prospect that was never expected to go to you. Austin Martin falls to you, and he's expected to play pretty much just about everything, it sounds like. Center field, he could play. Third base, he could play. He could play everywhere, technically. And uh, he's going to be a good addition to your batting lineup. Um, I'm really excited for this kid. I mean, uh, I was a bit hesitant. Again, like we were talking earlier, Naj, you mentioned this. It's like, we don't really need him, but when that talent falls to you, you can't pass it up, right? And yeah. um, you look at Martin, and he's he's listed to be an infielder. And you look mm-hmm. at our infield, and you're like, oh, shit. Like, you got Vladdy at three bag. You got Bo at short. You got uh, Kevin Biggio at two. And, like, this Martin kid doesn't play first. So, like, shit, where do you put him? And then you told me, Jake, that he plays center field. And that made me a very happy dude. So that's a big plus. Yeah. So I, that's where I imagine him playing in the future. Because uh, I'll say this now and I'll say it a thousand times, and I already have said it a thousand times. Randall Gritchick is not the man. Could, like, I could Jesus Christ. Like, he moved to uh, one bag, though. Oh, yeah, that, I, that's. I, that's a possibility I don't think for sure. Instant, but I like. If I was that just happens, gonna say that. Like Austin Martin is just <laughs> honestly, as much as pitching was a thing for the Jays, that he will still like. You've now got it, like you said, Bobichet, who I personally think is the best young player in baseball. Vlad Guerrero, who's a stud. 
with a big ass. Kevin Biggio, you go, you just brought in Ryu for four years. Like the Jays in two to three years could be a force, especially if Martin pans out. For yeah, no, I definitely think so. And and um, this is I when the Jays traded Kevin Pillar to San Francisco, I was livid. I was so pissed. Mm. And we we got solid return back. But if we would have him now, we wouldn't have that hole in the outfield. You can move Laddie to one bag with Smoke getting the hell out of town. Oh, and then you can put <laughs> Martin at three. That would make a man really happy. But no, we had to go and deal the one of the best defensive center fielders in the league. But that's not the that's not the point. Um, I I didn't know a lot about the MLB draft. I already said that, but. When the Jays drafted Austin Martin, I'd known that he was projected to go number two, and I knew we had the fifth pick. So when I saw that pop up on my phone, I was like, oh, wow, like that is kind of a steal. And I went and I looked at all of his stats. I, I He played for Vanderbilt, which is a prestigious baseball school in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I was like, this kid has so much potential. And like I'm so excited to be a Blue Jays fan right now because come three years, if we can keep this young core together, I think that – we're insanely dangerous. Like, in, like if we get pitching, we are incredibly dangerous. We also drafted pitchers in two th- in rounds two, three, and four. Hopefully, yeah. some of them pan out. Like, hopefully, they work out. I mean, we talked about Vladdy's big ass from the very start of this podcast, and I really think that big ass is going to catch up with them and move them to first base in uh, in probably three years if not less if he doesn't tame that ass but uh i could easily see austin martin playing center field like you're saying if if uh, vladdy does trim down a bit and he stays athletic into his late 20s um i i'm really uh excited to see how valuable he could be hitting in toronto which is another good hitting park I know the Rogers Center is widely regarded as a decent hitting park for um, for young players and, and stuff to develop in. I mean, you've seen it last year. Bo Bichette was hitting home runs left, right, and crooked. Uh, so was Vladdy when, once he got into the rhythm of things. So it's, it's not very hard to jumpstart your career in a place like Toronto. And I really think that Austin Martin could maybe – stack up to the potential fantasy value of someone like Alex Torkelson. I mean, I know Alex was hands down number one overall pick, but Austin was really supposed to go second and he fell to five. And I think with our, our infield being as solid as it is, I feel like it allows Martin the time to develop, which is always beneficial in baseball. Definitely. And I mean, once you have uh, Bichette, Biggio, uh, Guerrero, Martin, all hitting in the same lineup. You can't pitch around anyone, right? You're scared. It's the same uh, situation. Uh, a team I was going to mention for the team's fantasy value earlier was the uh, Los Angeles Angels. You can't pitch around anyone in that lineup. Uh, you got Mike Trout. You've got Shohei Otani when he goes DH. You've got Anthony Rendon now. Um, David Fletcher's a good batting average guy you can't pitch around anyone right now and it's the same thing in a few years in in toronto so austin martin is going to get pitches to hit 
and I really think that he could be a great fantasy ad in the future there. And uh, moving on to the sport of football, I think we're going to do these two guys together because they were probably the most talked about in the NFL draft, and they're both QBs. Tua Tagovailoa goes to the Miami Dolphins. Joe Burrow goes to the Cincinnati Bengals. How do you think these two teams affect their fantasy value respectively, and how do you think uh, they could look next season? I know Tua is probably not expected to start, obviously, because he's – had an injury history, but uh, what do you better. guys think? Career-wise, Tua's going to have better fantasy agree. better. Joe Burrow's fucked. Great quarterback, but he's fucked. Cincinnati's where careers go to yeah. die when they're drafted. I mean, he can't do the Andy Dalton thing where he just, you know, he he gets a deal and just stays there. He's, he's got to get the hell out of there as fast as he can if they don't. Yeah, he's gonna have to. He's gonna have to pretty much self sabotage himself, get out of there, and, and hope game. it works Palmer somewhere. Palmer just looked at the front office and said, I, "Like he pulled a Patrick Wall and said, I will not play another game for you. Trade me, or do whatever the fuck you want.'" Like the problem we've talked about before in the NFL, that's very rampant with teams like Detroit, uh, Cincinnati. The owners can simply survive and make money on a team by fielding a mediocre club that does nothing more than gets a few first round picks every couple of years because they suck so bad and they get they get ticket sales because people are too stupid to to not go uh and and to to stop going to games pretty much I mean, what is there to do if you're a football fan in Cincinnati? You just go stop seeing the Bengals because they suck? No. I mean, if you're a passionate fan, you're still going to go watch them. If you're in Cincinnati, why the fuck don't you just go the short trip to Cleveland? I know the Browns suck, but they suck less. Hell, Pittsburgh's not that far. Go watch the fucking Steelers. It's a weird history, though, now. It's because the whole story behind Cincinnati and, and Cleveland, I'm pretty sure, is that they pushed the original owner of the Cleveland Browns, the guy it's named after, the Browns, out of the organization. He goes and makes a team in, in Cincinnati and they don't they just don't See, share the fans. Thing is, is the reason why Cincinnati doesn't get ticket sales Weird. is because their stadium's fucking awful. Their team's awful. The only good thing about that thing is AJ Green. And even then he's like fucking older shit now <laughs> I will say this the stadium has pretty cool like <laughs> it's got pretty cool advertising we got like bangle stripes on the it's sidelines and stuff like, it's pretty flashy it's awful <laughs> they got leaves and shit on the on the sidelines like looking like a jungle in there <laughs> I think you're going to be able to tell if Joe Burrow is going to have any sort of success there this year i don't think it's like a waited out type of deal like people did with mm. trubisky and mahomes and deshaun Watson. Yeah. i think <laughs> here's the thing the potential in that offense you guys i don't know if you're gonna you're gonna rail me for this but like i do see potential in that offense i and it's the o-line that is kind of bothering me because um, Joe Mixon is a very underrated running back. If AJ Green comes back and plays well, he at one point he was a top it's five receiver in the game. Top, yeah, I know. Tyler Boyd is an up and coming receiver that I think is extremely solid John Ross, and underrated. John Ross, 
ran a four. He ran a four two two, and if he can stay healthy and like I don't know have kneecaps, I think that <laughs> he could be really effective off screens. I think that to say that Joe Burrow has no potential in Cincinnati and that his career is 100% going to die there. That's a bit extreme, but I also think that you're going to be able to tell if that's the case within this year. I don't think it's a, oh, he had an off year, he had this, whatever. I don't think there are excuses. Um, but I also think Joe Burrow is the person who has the charisma to 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 do his best to overcome it. Brian Flores and, and crew in Miami have created an atmosphere and an, a, uh, a system for Tua to succeed. And in two or three years, the Dolphins are going to be an extremely talented team. And we talked about um, we talked about this when Tom was on the show. Check that out, everyone, if you haven't. We did an episode with Tom Grossi. He's dope. But the we we talked about the rivalry, the potential rivalry between the Bills and the Dolphins because the Dolphins will be at that level. If Joe Burrow plays to the level of which he can, the Bengals' future isn't garbage. He he could do something. I just think that God, they need some O linemen, and that defense needs to do something. Yeah, and I was one of the I was one of the people on here out of us three that said I think the Bengals would be better off taking Joe Burrow instead of trading their pick away. And I I still think that and I think Joe Burrow has the charisma, like you said, to overcome maybe not having the best system walking into it. But I think that as much as we've shit talked the Cincinnati organization for not investing in their team over the years, um, I still think that if Joe Burrow does go out and makes the most of it, and it's clear to the fans that he needs a team behind him to have any sort of chance at all, I think Cincinnati will actually buy him a team finally. And I, I don't think that players will necessarily be scared to go to Cincinnati if Joe Burrow can show uh, the rest of the league that he will make it there if there are other players to support him. Zach Taylor needs to get the hell out of town, too. I just have no faith in Cincinnati. I've watched True. so many careers die there. Excuse me, I have no faith. Yeah, Um and moving on to our last, uh, our, our last sport, uh, we've already talked about Lamelo Ball. I had him on here. I don't think we'll really go over him again. I had the New York Knicks as kind of his main team that were was looking at him for a destination. So the only other player that we have to really talk about fantasy value wise is uh, Anthony Edwards, and uh, Cleveland Cavaliers are pretty much a front runner for this player. What do you have to say about him, Greg? Um, I think in my opinion that Anthony Edwards is the best player in this draft. Um, when it comes to pure skill and being a, like a player, like a player, like in itself, I think James mm-hmm. Wiseman's going to have the best career. Um, Anthony Edwards, when I think of potential landing spots for him, I would love to see him in a Cavaliers jersey. Um, and even like, I also agree with the Timberwolves idea. I mean, 
the idea of having him with uh, D'Angelo and Cat is kind of exciting, but I also think that D'Angelo and Cat need to kind of be a two-headed spear in the idea that Edwards kind of needs the ball a little bit to be effective. Um, and that would take away from that pick and roll thing that they're going to have rolling there for the next couple of years. Um, yeah, I think it, I think if uh, Edwards went to uh, Minnesota, like you're saying, and uh, went with D'Angelo and and Cat, uh, I think it could kind of take away from the chemistry they have there. When when you look at the Cavaliers, you have um, Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, Kevin Porter, and potentially Anthony Edwards. And um, Sexton's recently moved to the shooting guard, so you have Garland. And then, but then you have Sexton and Edwards who can play the shooting guard. And then you also have Porter who can play the shooting guard and small forward. So you have an, a great young core, but you have a couple too many wing players. I think in a perfect world, because the Cavs have Andre Drummond. Everyone forgets about that. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, exactly. I love Andre Drummond. Yeah. The <laughs> Cavs need to realize that Kevin Love won't be there anymore. And they got to, in my opinion, the Cavs 100% take Anthony Edwards if he goes there. And fantasy-wise, I think that it's that's the most beneficial, fantasy-wise. But for him to have the best career for himself, not for us, our, us jackasses who like to judge him <laughs> just because of um, – I think Minnesota might be the best place because he can form that triple, that triple headed monster with the D'Lo and Cat, because they have so many young wing pieces in Cleveland. I think if I'm Cleveland, I shit, dude, I take Obi Toppin, but I know that they'll take Anthony Edwards. Yeah, I pretty much agree with every single thing you said because I think career wise probably safer to go to Minnesota. Um, they have a very bright future ahead of them with the draft picks they have with D'Angelo and Cat. Like, Cavs, definitely probably the best fantasy place for him because he's pretty much the lone soldier there with Drummond. Anthony Edwards is a very... He is their Andrew Wiggins replacement with more upside. Mm-hmm. In Minnesota, which I think after they dealt him, they need uh, they need that high flying score. I think Edwards going to Cleveland easily is for fantasy at least is the best. Do I think he's exactly what Cleveland needs? Possibly not, but do I think he'll land there? And do I think it'll be good for him? Yes. Yeah, Cleveland's going I think full rebuild. Just, um, I think D'Lo and Cat would almost hurt Edwards more than help. <laughs> yeah, he'd have um, more. He'd have more like success accomplishment wise because I can see Minnesota being a very uh, competitive team going forward. But like we're saying, Cleveland fantasy. Um, if Cleveland decides Anthony Edwards is their is their guy. They're going to have to deal either uh, Sexton or um, Garland in the next couple of years because they're not going to run those four guys for two positions. No. 
And uh, that's that's literally all the uh, names I had on the list. I think that was actually a pretty good discussion, um, even though we did leave out LaMelo Ball, um, like we were saying. Um, New York Knicks could be uh, good for him in some ways, but I think it also leaves the potential for a, a bus situation because I don't really see the same kind of context coming into play for someone like Anthony Edwards going to a place like Minnesota and Cleveland, even though the Knicks suck, they always do suck. They always have sucked. If you go there and you go to a team that is expecting to get good quick, sold out shows for a sucky team, Lamelo could suffer, so right. And uh, that's about it. That's about it. Any any final wisdom to express to the audience before I wrap the episode up? I know you're good at this, Greg. Stay safe out there. <laughs> Don't. Uh, uh, yeah, stay safe out there. Stay safe out there. <laughs> Straight to the point. It's it's a it's a weird world we're living in. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, that pretty much wraps it up for this episode. Uh, remember to follow our social media on Instagram, Facebook, at Twitter at BRBL Podcast, and subscribe to our YouTube YouTube channel at the Backroom Beer League. And thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. <laughs> <laughs>